literary slummers to another episode of hate read i'm anna and i'm em every fortnight here on hate read one of us challenges each other to read a book that we think they'll hate every every fortnight fortnight. (laughs) for the first time in about a month two months we're actually doing that and i challenged anna to read uh save the pearls part one revealing eden by victoria foyt oh my god so Oh my God. First things first, Anna, did you finish the, did you, <laughs> I can't finish the sentence. Did you finish <laughs> this book? I did against all odds because this is the one I really thought this was the one that was going to break me. <laughs> but me here I am. Me too. I had a few moments like that. Yeah, like when you texted me, and I was like, uh, 14 pages? Oh, no, no, no. You're going to keep going because I finished this whole damn book. <laughs> I stuck with it. I stuck with it. Oh, man. Um, so some, sometimes when we're talking about these kind of uh, books that we've – that have a specifically poor reputation, um, mm-hmm. we do like to kind of – tell you guys what the deal is with them, like what their kind of publishing history was. Um, So real quick, just so you guys know what we're dealing with and what we were kind of thinking going into this. Um, So like we said, the author is Victoria Foyt, who is an actress and screenwriter and yeah. a bunch of things. Um, Owner of Sand Dollar Press Inc., the publisher that Made, this they created this book, yes. Yep. <laughs> um, so self-published, but like she created the publishing house. Very confusing. I don't know if they've published it, published anything else, but didn't look into Maybe that Maybe the second book. Yeah, probably. <laughs> published back in 2012. Um, and it was, I don't think the backlash was immediate. It wasn't until several months later when Mm -hmm. it was announced that it was going to be published in Weird Tales, which was is a magazine um, that had recently, like at the time, changed uh, ownership. Mm -hmm. So this was their like first magazine from when they changed ownership, their first issue. And this was what they wanted to publish was the first chapter of this book. Yeah. And they're like, a fantasy and horror yeah. uh, magazine. So I think, like, N.K. Jemison has published mm-hmm. in it. Like, yes. big names have published in this magazine. Yes. So people were upset because <laughs> this book, they said, is real racist. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot of bloggers and commentators were kind of like, no, this book is racist. Like, it is a racist book. Um, but eventually the magazine decided they wouldn't publish it, not because of the contents of the book, but because of, because of the backlash. No, not even because of the backlash, but because of oh. the, um, marketing for the book, which featured a white actress in blackface. Oh, uh, yeah. So I thought it was cause everyone was like going to start boycotting the magazine. Well, I'm like- sure that that p- played into it as well. But the reason <laughs> that they gave was specifically that the marketing was like inappropriate or whatever. Yeah. So they were like, JK, JK, we're not going to publish this um, uh, excerpt. At which point, Victoria Foyt wrote her own like response piece on Huffington Post that was like, you guys are judging a book by its cover because, uh, spoiler alert, the cover of this book also kind of features a woman in blackface a little bit. Yeah, half. Half half-y. blackface. Yeah. Um, she's like, you're judging a book by its cover. It's like, well, they weren't. They were judging it by the promotional video, actually. <laughs> yeah. But uh, even so, she's like, you're judging a book by its cover. This is an anti-racist book. You guys just, like, nobody who's complaining about this has read the book. Which wasn't true at the time that people were complaining about it. There were plenty of people who had read the book or read, you know, parts of the book, the parts that were problematic, and that was what they were complaining about. Um, and now I can say, as someone who has read this book, this book is fucking uh, racist. It is awful. Yeah, so this is what... So the editor of Weird Tales at the time, Marvin Kay, at first, like, super hardcore defended Mm -hmm. the choice to um, include the, like, first chapter of this book in the magazine. And he says, 
Hold on. Where do I even start with this quote? Because the whole thing is ridiculous. He says, this story is a compelling view of a world that didn't listen to the warnings of ecologists and a world that has developed a reverse racism. Blacks dominating and detesting not just whites, but Latinos and albinos. The few that still survive of the latter are hunted down and slaughtered. Racism is an atrocity, and that is the backbone of this book. That is very clear to anyone with an appreciation for irony who reads it. Yeah, so... Mm. um. If you don't, if you think this is racist, you're, you don't understand irony, I guess, is the takeaway from that. Uh, yeah. I also think um, in her response, Foyt uh, kind of was like, this is about ecology. This is about the environment. That's the point of the book. And it's like, okay. No, I, it's not. I, it's not. <laughs> like, you're, you're just being hella racist. And okay. To give her, we'll get we'll get into what this book is about. I promise. But mm-hmm. to give her, I want to get a lot of the race the racism talk out of the way up front because, like, otherwise we're just gonna keep talking about it every five seconds it's because so it comes present. up every five seconds. I think that there is a way to do this sort of thing where it is we're going to explain why something is wrong by flipping it on its head, right? Like, I'm thinking of, like, um, more with gender, but sci-fi does this a lot with gender, like Why the Last Man kind of does this. Um, uh, Left Hand of Darkness sort of does this, uh, where it's like, oh, we're going to explain why sexism exists and is bad by showing you mm-hmm. kind of what would happen with reversing it. And I think you could do that with race, I just don't think she did it. With oh my god, no! All she did was like further it stereotypes so and just like. Uh. Also, I really enjoyed that this. Uh, I went into this expecting it to be racist in a very specific way, and it certainly was. But it also <laughs> was racist in new and unexpected ways. <laughs> so that was fun. Oh was my really god, enjoyable. it's a mess, and the. <laughs> The author, she's just, like, in such disbelief. She's also said, like, she made a statement later on where she said, conceivably, if the book had not reached the African-American community of readers, if such a category still exists, perhaps there might be some backlash. The first young African-American reader who responded to me loved the book, but then she's the kind of free spirit who would eschew, eschew? Uh, sure. <laughs> limiting herself to a single category. Eschew. I don't know how you say that word. Anyway, but yeah, she's just like so full. Like, she's just so in disbelief that anyone could possibly find this book racist. Victoria Foyt has black friends. All right. It's fun. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's get into it. Um, I'm so happy that you're the one who has to explain this book because... Reading this book, okay, uh, setting aside... It was like a fever dream. Yes, setting aside the racism of it all, which is very hard to do because, again, it's the entire book. Um, But if you ignore that, this is still a shitty book. It's still a shitty, shitty book. It is so badly written. And it was like, there were times when I had been turning pages and had spent time, like, with my eyes moving across (laughs) the pages... But I don't know what was being said. Yes, it was like a co- it was like it was written in a completely different language, and I just didn't like. I couldn't, you know, like when you read and you get a picture in your mind of yes. what you're reading. I tried I as hard as I could. I could not picture what was happening in this book. And they're actually like, when we get there, there's like a couple passages. Well, maybe just one, like really egregious one that I want to read because. I want you to explain to me what's happening because it okay. doesn't make sense. Okay. <laughs> this is me pounding the book. Sorry, microphone. And I will uh, say there were two points in this book where I physically could not continue reading because I was laughing too hard. I need to know what those we'll are. Get because... to that when we, when we, when we oh get there in the God. book. Also, this was great because this is the first time for this podcast I've had a physical copy of the book. Yes. Um, every other time I've lot. had an e-reader. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of uh, dog hearing going on here. Uh, most of my notes were yikes, um, yes, hmm, lol, and then like a bunch of what the actual fuck. There were so <laughs> many. There were so many yikes moments in this book. Yikes! Yeah, yikes. I had a couple yikes. All right, let's get into it. Uh, okay. 
<sighs> so the book begins. <laughs> Eden is a white girl living in a post-apocalyptic world in this place called The Combs, which mm. maybe could have been shortened from Catacombs, but that's never explained. Yeah, I think that's what we're supposed to do. This is an, another feature of this book, is there's just 800 million words. It's one of those like sci-fi books where they just replace words with other words to make it sound more futuristic, but it's just, it just mm-hmm. sounds dumb. It just sounds it's really, very... really dumb. Dot. Oh my god. <laughs> Eden's father calls her Dot instead of Daughter as a nickname because it sounds like some sort of classification. That, I doesn't. didn't understand what that joke it was, doesn't, but. Though. It does. It was just stupid. Um, so she lives in the combs in a world where having black skin is considered the best thing ever because the earth got too hot and killed a lot of white people. <laughs> this is the premise for this book. This is you the guys. premise of the book. You guys. She wrote that down and thought that was good and she should keep going. That's on the blurb. Like, that's not even hidden no in the text. That's her. the blurb. That's the selling point. Oh my God. um eden suffers from racism every day because of course black people are always out to get white people she doesn't feel safe anywhere she goes she refers to them as they or them in italics um and she's always afraid that they're gonna like hit her or kidnap her or do any terrible number of things to her because of her skin color which like she says that a few times where she's like she saw the look in their eye that every pearl... Oh, spoiler alert. White people are called pearls in this. Um, oh, yeah. I have the whole list of <laughs> But she she saw that look in their eye that every pearl, like, knew to recognize. And she would, like, coward in fear. And she thought they were going to hit her. I'm like, I don't know. You keep doing these, like, flashbacks to her mother and all this other stuff. Like, if your premise is that she's horribly abused by all black people like I don't know I'm not saying I wanted a scene where she got punched by a black girl but like maybe that would have helped a little bit so it wasn't just like essentially this white girl just afraid of black people (laughs) it's just it's like they're just trying to do their thing and she's calling the cops on them at the picnic like yeah she's definitely like a Becky yeah oh god (laughs) So, in order to, like, avoid being targeted as white, she wears a coating called Midnight Luster all over her body and hair, and she wears contacts to make her eyes brown. Well, okay, so the coating thing, I think they kind of explain as, like, this is a way... Is it like sunscreen, sort of. Like, it's kind of implied that it's supposed to be... But then but she then goes outside what? and literally nothing happens Right, her. and also, <laughs> what are the contacts for, Becky? What are the contacts for? <laughs> also, they're living underground, there's no yeah, sun. Yeah, there's no need. <laughs> Girl. She then goes on to describe that there are racist terms that people use to call each other uh, by their skin colors... Um, and she says in the book, like, these are racist things. Yeah. But everyone but uses them But she uses them the entire book. just the like, dominant class. Yeah, she just, like, ugh. So. Like, she calls, oh, go ahead and give them out. Mm. Yeah, she calls black people coals. Asians are ambers. Latinx are tiger eyes. I thought it was the other White. way around. I thought Latinx was ambers and Asians are tiger eyes. Because I remember oh, the Asian thing and I was that like. That could be. That's awkward. Yeah, that could be because, but maybe she was like, oh, I better not call them tiger eyes because that's racist. (laughs) But coal, that's fine. That coal is perfectly fine. That's actually a racial slur, like, in the real world. Yep. And she's just throwing around in this book. Pearl is are white people, and then albinos are called cottons. Which, okay, I know this whole system is very stupid, but if you were going to name a white person something and an albino something which one would you call a pearl and which one would you call a cotton because <laughs> opposite for me right like 
Yes, and she tried to, like, I read somewhere that she tried to justify mm-hmm. this by mm-hmm. saying that, like, oh, pearls are, like, if you were in a post-apocalyptic world, what would be more useful to you, a piece of coal or a pearl? Like, pearls, you'd have no use for them in the future. That's why they're worthless, and that's why why people are called pearls in the future. But, like, cotton is very useful. Yes, yeah, so that doesn't pass the test. And also, um... Your other argument, Victoria, Vicky, if I may, <laughs> is that uh, this whole book is about how, like, environmentalism. Um, so, you know what a leading cause of, like, global warming is? <laughs> so, there's still, like, some real negative connotations that you're, like, kind of implying here. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> not the best analogy. <laughs> Um, so Eden, guys, we're like 10 pages into this book, not even. If that, if that. Eden needs to find a mate by the time she is 18, or else they'll cut her off from the resources she needs to live, which no one would be sad about that. <laughs> but also the, the resources, she says, are food and oxy. Yeah, everyone's doped up all the time. But I thought oxy was just because they keep name, naming things stupid things in this. I thought oxy was just short for oxygen. I thought, like, because she's like, they'll put me out into the harsh world with no food and no oxy. And I was like, oh, so, like, you'll you'll suffocate and die. But no, it's just, like, a drug. Like, I think it's, like, Oxycontin. Yeah, I think it's, like, Oxycontin. Oxycontin, yeah, that's what I thought. But it took me a real long time to figure that out. Because it, like, numbs her or something. They, she, like, I guess she's, like, so addicted to whatever oxy is that she's, like, never had a dream before. She hasn't cried since she was seven, and she doesn't know, like, what any emotions feel like at all. So They also, they give her, like, she takes it as tablets a couple times, mm-hmm. but then at one point there's, like, a mask or something uh-huh. that they put on her dad. And then she and then, also shoots it up, so, like. Yeah, and at one point she says something about, like, she doesn't know how to breathe. Like, normally? <laughs> yeah, so yeah she doesn't know how to breathe on. like animals do, which I didn't understand yeah. what that meant either. like, what are you talking about? I'm so confused. <laughs> because it, like, as part of her, like, gro- character growth, she learns how to breathe, but I don't, I don't know <laughs> what she was doing before. Right. <laughs> and honestly, like, if your character growth is that you learn how to breathe, <laughs> breathe. what the fuck are you doing? I'm dead. Uh, (laughs) But we gotta, we gotta move on. We gotta move on. You know what? You guys gotta hear how this ends. It's It's time for Jamal to make a righteous move. Oh my god, that's my favorite line in this book. (laughs) Jamal is gonna make a righteous move. It said by Jamal. (laughs) Oh, so several, several, (laughs) several white people have offered to mate with Eden. Several pearls have offered to mate with with her, but she refuses because she'd rather die than mate with another pearl. Okay. <laughs> we can't get into we it. We can't get into that. We don't have time. <laughs> we can't get into the part where she walks by a performance and people are all in white face. Oh my god. Girl, you knew what you were doing, Vicky. Stop it, Vicky. Stop it, Vicky. <laughs> Eden's dad is a scientist who works for this guy named Bramford, who is apparently super rich and super attractive. They are making some sort of science that turns people into part animal. They're doing a science. They're doing a science. It's never explained. Other than that, they're taking stem cells from jaguars, harpy eagles, and anacondas, mixing them all together, and apparently somehow that makes them immune to the sun's rays. Well, no, they do explain this. Oh, do they? Because... <laughs> yes. Because um, they're using uh, black jaguars, which aren't really called black jaguars, but whatever. Um, oh, the melatonin. Which have, yeah, which have melanism. Like, this is a real thing. Yeah. They have melanism. That's why they're fully black. It's like where, when an animal produces a shit ton of melan- mm-hmm. melanin. Um, and so instead of just targeting human cells that produce melanin and making them produce more melanin. They're like, let's put some jaguar in there. Yeah, because most animals are almost extinct, so let's kill some to make better humans. I don't think the harpy and anaconda thing was ever fully explained. No, it was like the harpy eagle had eyes that were very good, and the anaconda was strong. 
I... All I remember is that later on in the book, Eden comments on Bramford's abs because they remind her of an anaconda, and I was just so confused. <laughs> just like, an anaconda twisted up around his stomach, but then like divided in half. Abs. That's how they work. Yep, 100%. <sighs> Alright. Okay, so they're doing a science. They're doing a science. Jamal is the head of security for Bramford's lab. Eden has been tricked by Jamal into thinking that he might someday option her as a mate. And so she spills all her dad's research secrets to him. But surprise, Jamal is part of a secret organization that wants to kill all white people. And he tries (laughs) to take the research for himself. Except they don't say why, just that it will super duper help them. I don't know. <laughs> um, <sighs> this there's a moment. I just want to give context to that earlier outburst. Oh my god, it's so, it's Jamal, hysterical because he says it like three or four times. <laughs> Jamal Jamal is like hooking up with Eden, except they're not really hooking up. It's like they're like cybering with holograms. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she's like, oh, like he invites her to the dance or something because. That whole, that's a stupid side plot. Um, <laughs> we just skip it. It's dumb. She's like, oh my gosh, really? Thinking like he's going to marry her or mate with her. Sorry. And Jamal's like, it's time for Jamal to make a righteous move. <laughs> she's, and then she, she thinks fuck. about that 18 times in this <laughs> book. She's like, she remembered what Jamal had said. It's time for Jamal to make a righteous move. <laughs> That was going to be my end quote, but it's so good. It still can be. No, no. Well, I'm sure there's another one in here. Don't worry. Oh, listen, it's time for us to make a it's righteous It's time move. for us to and continue <laughs> describing what happens in this book. I'm going to say that all the time now. Good, good, because you know what? That's how often Eden thinks about it. So, <laughs> Jamal and his crew kidnap the original test subjects they were going to use the science on. And so Bramford (laughs) volunteers himself to go through the process, but apparently this is a very tricky thing to do because Eden's dad has set up the science specifically for the test subjects genomes, and now he has to like figure out what Bramford's DNA says. (laughs) Stupid. Um, Something goes wrong. And he becomes more animal than they originally planned for him to become. So he is now the Jaguar Man. (laughs) (laughs) So. I can't. This entire. The rest of this book is. This is like page 50. This is page 50. And this is a 300 page book. 250 pages of this book. Spoiler alert. Branson is the, his name's not Branson, it's Bramford. Yeah. Eventually it's revealed that his first name is Ronson, so I kept thinking his name was Ronson Bonson. <laughs> I, when I was writing my notes, I had to go back because I was like, is this name Ramford Bramford? <laughs> Ronson Bonson. The rest of this book, 250 pages, um, is spent between a romance... I mean, there's some other shit going on, and we'll get to it. But the main Ugh. point is the romance between this oppressed 17-year-old white girl. Oh, my God. And a giant man cat named Ronson Bonson. Ronson Bonson Bramford. <laughs> oh, my fucking God. <laughs> she thought this was good. She thought this was the best book anyone had ever written. I swear oh, to God. Oh, man. And, <laughs> like... He is called the Jaguar Man or El Tigre by the people that we're, I'm going to tell you about in just a second. Because this is where it gets racist in a whole new way, yeah. guys. Yeah, bet you weren't expecting so that one. buckle your seatbelts. Eden sets Bramford's lab to self-destruct because she is afraid Jamal and friends will steal the research for their own gain. So Eden and her dad and Bramford have to escape on his private jet. And they go to a rainforest, the uh, the rainforest, the Amazon rainforest. (laughs) There's just a little bit of it left, and Bramford owns it. And he is revered here as the Jaguar Man, because that is like a local god or deity or something. Um, It's not, it's not, but that's okay. 
<laughs> also, apparently there are still people who do live on the surface of the Earth, and there is no explanation given other than that no one knows how they did it. So, great <laughs> storytelling there. But we, we need to talk about the specifics of how this gets real racist towards them. Um, so they're introduced the whole, I'm not going to butcher the name and I'm sorry. I think it's Warani. Yeah. Um, but like, this is a real tribe that really exists oh, in real goodness. life. I didn't even yeah. look it up. I just assumed she made it up. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, she did not. This is real. These uh, are real human beings who exist in the real world wonderful. today in, in, uh, South America. Mm-hmm. Um, first of all. She uses the term Indian to describe them multiple times, yes. which is a little bit of a yikes, a little bit of a yikes. I, I will give, I, I don't want to excuse yikes moments, but I will give her a bit of a pass on it just because I get it there. That was the accepted terminology for a long time. And if you don't want to not be ignorant, I guess you could have avoided the fact that that's not the word we use anymore. Um, it's not racist, guys. But but there were two other things with this. Um, when they first get there, first of all, her dad knows, like, everything about them, which is bizarre because... Like, yes, I didn't understand he? how... He was just like, oh, yeah, it's this 3,000-year legend that they told about this thing. And I'm like, what? why do you know this? Here's all like, their customs. Dot. But, um... They refer to everyone who's not one of the Furani as Kowode mm-hmm. or Kowodi. Um, and it says, let me find the exact quote because I think I did. They're expert hunters referring to the, these people. And Eden says, what do they hunt? And then her father replies, Kowode, for example, which are non-humans or anyone different from them. Wait, they think they're human and we're Kowode, non-human? So, like, that is very heavily implying that they hunt and eat people, which they do not. (laughs) Neither in this book or in, like, the real world in which these people exist. Yeah. Um, The other thing is, towards the end, she starts, she drops the Indian thing and just starts referring to them as Aztecs, which is also No, there's two separate groups. The Aztecs are, the Aztecs are separate. Are they? Yeah, because they talk, he talks about, uh, Bronson Bronson talks about how he's, like, come across them secretly in the jungle, and they're, like, even more, um, oh, God, if I say this, it's good. They're even less civilized than the Warani tribe, and, um, they're the Aztecs. Okay, so the Aztecs, (laughs) okay, well... (laughs) Yep. We're just going to leave it at that. And they still live in the Aztec room, so that's kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> They've just been hiding since the 1600s. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Smallpox did not get them. <laughs> okay. Um, When they traverse through the jungle, because they do eventually have to go on foot through the jungle, through the rainforest. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Eden rides atop Bramford's shoulders a little bit Twilight-esque. But I read this description like a hundred times because I did not understand what's happening. So let me, let me. Then without warning, he grabbed her by the waist and lifted her onto his shoulders. Okay, we're good. (laughs) Bramford gripped her thighs to steady her. His warm hands burned against her bare flesh, giving her goosebumps. Okay, we're good. Eden tentatively wrapped her legs around his broad back, barely able to encircle his girth. What? (laughs) Um, you're sitting on someone's shoulders. Your legs are dangling in front of them, like around their chest and stomach area. Maybe. No. Okay. Maybe. No. Okay. Maybe he mean, maybe she means that Bronson Ronson pulled her up like piggyback style. Because okay. it says lifted her onto his shoulders, but maybe just, like, her arms are on his shoulders. Okay. Because then the I rest so. would track. But that's a weird way to describe it. But then... <laughs> she squeezed her legs tight around him to stop herself from falling, and she thought she heard him purr. And then it says he placed her hands on top of his head, which kind of 
destroys the piggyback theory. Yep. She sunk her fingers into his long, silky hair like reins on a horse, as if she controlled the beast. This book isn't racist, guys. (laughs) It's fine. So, I guess I just don't understand how her legs are doing what they're doing, because (laughs) is she sitting, like, facing him on his shoulders? Because if she's just eating her out, like (laughs) the whole way. That's why there's so much groaning and purring the whole time. There is so much moaning, groaning, and purring in this book. Period. Oh my god! Every two seconds, one of them is moaning or groaning at each other, or like, and it's always like, she moaned, maybe in pleasure, maybe in annoyance. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Each time she made a noise, Bramford squeezed her again. In return, she groaned from despair or pleasure. She couldn't say. (laughs) I just wrote gross. (laughs) What is that? What do you mean you groaned in despair? Who? What? What are you talking about? Also, those are very different emotions. How are you not able to figure this? Because of the oxy, she doesn't know what emotions are. It's uh, so. It's pretty. It's pretty rough. So, because the Warani tribe, like, kind of worships Bramford's new image, Eden thinks that Bramford has selfish reasons for turning into an animal. And decides to hate him and try to escape for, like, the next I mean, she, 200 pages. She already hated him because... For no reason. Eh. She thought he was arrogant, but all he did was be nice to her, ever. Right. Yeah, I don't know. It's... it's there was no very, reason. There was no reason. And there's a lot of, um, like, the worst of YA type thing in this where... It's just like needless emotional drama mm-hmm. for for no no reason, and it's just like, oh, I I think I might be in love with him, but I can't because I hate him, and it's like, but why? Yeah, there's you no need reason. To sit down and examine those feelings. Um, well, she had a lot of growing up to do, also, because this she just throws a tantrum for the yes. rest of this book. Yes, like he she thinks he's entitled, but she's the one who acts entitled all the time. Yeah. And like, she like, demands to know everyone's secrets and, yes. like, just thinks she deserves special treatment and, like, I don't know. She's just bizarro. <laughs> she's not She's not a good character. Couldn't no, she's garbage, human. She's garbage. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, so, but basically she tries to run away. She almost dies, like, ten times. Bramford saves her each time. Like, one time she almost drowns. One time she's almost strangled by an anaconda. Another time she gets lost in the jungle. It's just... So there's there's the part. This was the first time that I had to stop because I couldn't keep going because it was too funny. Um, so as a reminder, Bronson Ronson is a cat boy at this point. <laughs> yeah. um, and this is a conversation that the two of them have. They're talking about how he realized that a storm is coming because he, like, noticed environmental cues. Oh, my God. Um, And she did not. (laughs) And also, we should note that he has taken away her little computery thing that's called a life ring. Life band, yeah. Life band, sorry. It's an earring. Yeah. It's stupid. It basically controls all her thoughts. Yeah. So um, she says, I'm not receiving any... I'm not receiving any data, remember? Thanks to you. Before, you would have noticed the signs. Really? She said. When was that? About a million years ago, when you looked something like me. (laughs) So, is that implied? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if what she's saying is about a million years ago because we all came out of Africa and we were all black back then. If that's what she's saying or if she thinks we all evolved from cats. I also just, I couldn't, like my brain shut down when I read that. I was like, no time to dissect that because I've got a lot more book to go. Does she think that we all evolved from cats a million years ago? Perhaps, perhaps. Because perhaps because <laughs> he goes on to say she'd make an uh like a really good she cat or something. Yes. <laughs> so 
sound like for the rest of the book, they both keep bringing that up. They both keep calling her a she-cat or a she-kitten. Or, oh I'm like, this God. is gross and I'm very uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. Mm-mm. There's also a lot of this that is just, I'm pretty sure... I mean, I don't want to speculate about someone else's sexuality, but I'm pretty sure Victoria Foyt just wants to fuck a cat. Like, Could I'm be. pretty sure that's the situation. Because <laughs> she keeps going on about, like, how hot and handsome he is now that he kind of looks like a cat. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that's your kink, I guess. And at least he can consent. Like... <laughs> Until he goes too far into the animal process and right. loses all his humanity. Right. Because that is a thing. Which we have to talk about. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Which is a thing that he wants to do because his other choice is, and I was confused on this point. It is presented by her father, the doer of science, that either (laughs) he has to, Bronson Ronson has to either um, become a full on cat, but with human eyes um, or, or, uh, or try to undo the cat genes and probably die yes um they don't really say what would happen if they just didn't do either of those well i think it was like he just didn't want to look that way which is weird like why would you want to look more like a cat like you're good (laughs) now just stop (laughs) like you got the best i mean like i don't want to fuck a cat but according to this book you got the best bits like (laughs) Right. But it's also very weird because her dad does make a point to tell Eden that, like, his romantic uh, advances towards her might kill her because he's so powerful. (laughs) Which, like... That's fun. Okay. (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there with, like, uh, the whole... And this is the thing. Victoria Foyt, in her interviews since this... Or, like, things she's written since this book came out, she's like... Well, you know, not that long ago, people would have been, like, appalled by this book because it portrays interracial romance, and they wouldn't have been okay with it. And I'm so progressive because it's an interracial romance. And I'm like, all right, but number one, does it really count if your if you're ma- lead is a cat? species, you know? It's very much like um, the kind of backlash Disney got when they released Princess and the Frog. And everyone was like, I mean, it's cool that she's a black princess, but she's also a frog most of the time. <laughs> so, like, does it count? I don't know. Like, there was kind of that. But also, like, this whole romance plays really heavily into the problematic tropes of, like, problematic interracial romances when mm-hmm. people are like, oh, it's a delicate white woman and a bestial black man. Oh, and it's yeah. like, okay, you're literally playing that exactly straight. Yep. He's literally a cat. She said, <laughs> and she calls him a beast the whole book. Yes. And she's trying to do like, and this is the other thing. She said like, oh, it's a Beauty and the Beast story. It's not. Because the whole point of Beauty and the Beast is that they aren't into the other's appearance. Right. And they learn to love the thing inside. She really wants to fuck this cat, you guys. Like, this isn't something I'm saying just, like, as a joke. (laughs) It comes up multiple times how turned on she is by Catman. Yes. And it is very difficult to read. (laughs) (laughs) Also, she's 17. I don't know if we've mentioned that. Yeah. and She's 17. And that's considered middle-aged in this world. Yes. So... Which, that's not the first time we've seen that. That's not the first time we've seen that, because they did that in um, Frozen, that Melissa Delacruz book Mm. that we read Mm -hmm. a while back. Um, So that is kind of a thing in YA dystopia of just being like, oh, the adults are dying. Let's (laughs) pretend that 17 is an okay age to make life decisions. It's not. not. I mean, it it, it is to some extent. I don't want to discredit 17-year-olds, but, like, it's not. But not the decision to to become a cat person. Yes. (laughs) The decision that Eden ends up making, which we'll get. Spoiler alert. (laughs) oh man okay so there is some other stuff happening in the background of this romance um the warani tribe are all kind of weary of wary of eden and they keep calling her rebecca um and i get through some bad leaps in logic eden assumes that rebecca is bramford's wife and that he has locked her in a mysterious prison hut in this village And she tries many times to call out to Rebecca, to try and save her, and also to try to pry into Bramford's business, which... I mean, like, she tries. She runs out into the middle of the village and goes, Rebecca! Rebecca! (laughs) Like, when other people are 
around. Like, this so obviously isn't dumb. going to succeed. Uh, She's just a, a beautiful little idiot. So... She doesn't realize she's beautiful, though. That's the point, M. Oh, my God. That's what makes her beautiful. <laughs> um, and then at one point, Branford has to take, like, this medicinal salve that makes his spirit leave his body so that his body can do ultra healing or something because he got really hurt bad. <laughs> and he, he, he got has, hurt bad by the snake. And the snake got him good. Because he's got to he's got to go collect more snake DNA and more oh, eagle yeah. DNA, so he and can go more, further, cat, so that he can be more cat, <laughs> more which, cat bird anaconda. <laughs> which also, yeah, like it's like, why do you need the other two if you're just gonna end up being a cat? Because like they show <laughs> what he will look like when they do more of the DNA, and it's just a cat, it's but with cat. human eyes. I'm like, why do you need all the rest of it? I don't know. <sighs> become the ultimate predator Mm. Uh, I hate it and I guess like Eden has to watch over his body while he's doing the healing and to make sure nothing attacks him during the night which seems like a bad choice on Bramford's part but he's under the influence of a drug and he starts spilling all his secrets to her and so this is the thing about Rebecca turns out she either was or was not part of the group that Jamal belonged to and either did or did not trick Bramford into mating with her that's it. The book, I think, like, the book wants us to think Rebecca was also tricked, but, like, they never land on no, anything. No, it's just, like, it, it super doesn't matter. We're done with Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca, she's just a name. And also, like, um, Eden looks exactly like her. I don't know if I mentioned that. Eden looks exactly like her, though. Um, exactly. Except she has more elfin features. Oh, yeah, she's even more beautiful. Can you imagine? <laughs> Uh, Rebecca and Bramford had a child, Logan, who is an albino, which is, like, super illegal because this world wants to kill all albinos, <laughs> and Rebecca died because of treachery. I don't know. Well, and also, they, like, so, Bronson Ronson, uh, like, <laughs> falsified his DNA report, I guess, yeah. to make it look like he doesn't have albino DNA. And Rebecca presumably did the same thing. Yes. So they were like lying to each other and then they had a kid and they were like, oh shit. <laughs> so they both realized that the other was lying. We did the bad thing. And then no. Rebecca died. Uh, and Logan is the one that lives in the mysterious prison hut in the village that Eden keeps trying to get into. Which, how old is he supposed to be? I think like, I was picturing like six or seven based on his behavior but he could have been 13 i don't know but so if he was six or seven then bronson ronson ronson had him when he was like 14 or 13 right oh no 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 16 16 he had him when he was 16 which okay whatever yeah so some other stuff happens that doesn't matter at all um eden manages to make a call back to the combs because she's worried her dad is gonna die from a wound he received but instead of help Jamal and friends show up instead, and there's a fight. Jamal and his friends die, and Bramford need to decide they're in love. Um, you glossed over the fact that Jamal dies by Logan straight up stabbing him <laughs> through. Oh the my chest. god, I forgot about that. This yes, child this who little maybe child. six years old. He may be three. I don't know how old he's supposed to be. And Bramford goes, my son, no. <laughs> no. And Logan just. And Logan just kills Jamal. After, of course, um, Jamal has tried to kill Eden, but was prevented by Eden's dog. Who Logan, oh, my God. The who fucking Jamal dog. Jamal brought with him to, like, try to get her back on his side. Like, the dog <sighs> jumps in front of the laser. Which is another fun thing about this book. They have laser guns, and anytime someone gets hit with one, they said they, they've been lasered, which, okay. <laughs> um, also, then the dog is fine. Yes, because of the super healy magic stuff that makes your soul leave your body. That leads to one of my other favorite moments in this book. Yes, please do tell. Where, um, let me find it, because I don't know if I, yes, Okay. So, uh, Jamal has just been stabbed through the chest by child Logan. Um, (laughs) and Austin, the dog has been heavily injured, possibly dying. 
Eden had never felt more alone. The steady hum of the jungle and its dazzling beauty seemed far away. Numb to the world, she hardly felt the brush of Bramford's body against hers. But there he was, folding her into his warm arms. She buried her face against his chest, sobbing. <laughs> Austin! Eden sputtered. Bramford held her tight until the storm inside her passed. She knuckled her eyes dry, wondering how he could be so annoying at times and then as irresistible as moonlight. I love you, Eden Newman, Bramford <laughs> whispered in her ear. Then he drew her into a deep kiss. So number one, this is the worst time to make out with someone. <laughs> like her dog just died, she thinks. She thinks, yeah. Number two, what does that mean? Irresistible is moonlight. There was a lot of really strange similes in this book. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. So did we get to the, the actual end of... Uh... Well, the book ends with Eden. She wants to undergo the same transformation that Bramford went under um, so that they can raise Logan, and she wants to raise Logan as her own child. And Logan will also undergo the transformation. Um, and they want to go, like, full cat. But then I guess at the end, like, Eden starts to feel really self-conscious about, like, not, Bramford not finding her beautiful after she's transformed. So he says, it's all right, babe. We'll just transform you and Logan to this much cat. And we'll put off the rest of the cat for later. 99% cat. Yeah. (laughs) And then, and then the book ends. They create, that's it. That's it. They're they're like, they're going to create a new species. Um, get Eden. New species. Mm. Anyway, yep, and that's, yeah, that's assumably the sequel will pick up right where they left off because it's called, uh... Adapting Eden? Adapting Eden, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, remember how there was, like, a blurb, the blurb mentioned that Eden's aunt was Emily Dickinson? (laughs) Why don't you tell us how that went, Emily? (laughs) So... (laughs) Okay, so about, like, 20 pages into this book, we get this little tidbit about the fact that when um, Eden was a child, they would use their, what are they called? Not rings. Life Life, bands. Life bands. They would use their life, like, you use your life band to go into different, like, virtual realities and whatever. So her mom used to always take her to go hang out with, like, virtual Emily Dickinson in her virtual hermit <laughs> abode, which I, I'm pretty sure Emily Dickinson would not enjoy that, virtual or otherwise. Uh, so they call not. they referred to her as Aunt Emily. And then Eden uh, just constantly quotes her poems throughout this entire fucking book, and it's insufferable. It is so annoying. Because, like, I'm pretty sure worst. she doesn't even, like... Victoria Foyt was like, mm, here's a poem that has, like, a nature word in it, so I'm just going <laughs> to apply it to this situation. And I'm like, mm, no, that's probably about suicide, honey. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Please stop. Please um, stop. Yeah, she did that, and she also, again, to, like, show how smarty, smart, smart Eden was, she, like, every time there's an animal, she <gasps> refers to it by its scientific name. Every and fucking since, time! And since they're in the goddamn jungle, there's a lot of fucking animals. <laughs> And I'm just like, why would you, this is, why would you bother doing this? Like, why would you bother? Like, this is, this is the thing that I don't, I don't get about, like, when you have these sort of really heavy, um, world building sort of things where, oh, all of the lingo is different to the point where I can't fucking understand what you're talking about when you're talking about food and oxy, if oxy is a drug or actual literal oxygen. But um, you're sitting there and having this girl who has no use for knowing these things because all of the animals in her life are dead. So why would she need to? So she knows every single fucking animal on the planet's like full Latin name, but they don't know what to call cancer. Like they, what? (laughs) Because everybody in this world is dying from the heat, the capital heat, T, yeah. capital H. It's fucking skin cancer is what it is. Yes. Like, what happened in this global catastrophe that made it so we do have access to all of this bullshit about every single taxonomical designation of animals, which, spoiler alert, is not actually very helpful scientifically. It's only helpful if you're writing papers in order for people in other languages to know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, <laughs> number one. But, you know, aside from that, so they, they do have all... All of that info, but they don't fucking know what to call cancer. Like, I don't understand. I don't understand. I, it was. It's 
so stupid. It was so stupid. Like, yeah, the, the, the parts of the book where she, like, tried to make the character sound intelligent. No. And it, it was just, it failed and her so bad. Dad the way was her the, dad talked. Oh, my God. He was the worst offender. Because literally there were times she very clearly just used a thesaurus and swapped words out in order to make him sound more erudite. And it did not work because it just didn't make sense. Yeah, she like, just, like, upped the complexity on thesaurus.com. And I'm not saying it didn't make sense. Like, I am stupid and I don't know what words mean. I'm saying it didn't make sense. Like, it did not grammatically make sense anymore. It was bad. It did not work. She makes them sound like, like, she's trying really hard to make them sound like a nerd. Yes. And it's like, he sounds like a nerd in the sense, like, he sounds that like that nerd that you used to hang out with in high school who was, like, a nerd whose identity was being a nerd. Yeah. And so they tried really, really hard to be it. And it's like... Dude, no one cares. No one wants to listen to you speak like this. It, it doesn't sound cool. It just sounds pretentious. Please stop. Yes, please. Like, if he if he didn't, un- like, know the answer to something, he would just say, an unknown variable. Instead of, like, <laughs> I don't know. He's <laughs> just like, an unknown variable. So, end of the day. How racist is this book? <laughs> Extremely. <laughs> um, and, well, here's the, here's the thing with kind of her argument. Of that this is an environmental story. And so the the skin color thing is just to, because of the plot of this story, which is environment is dangerous. So obviously people with darker skin would be better off in this situation. Okay. Mm-hmm. I can get on board with that. I, I can. Um, I don't like it, but I will get on board. <laughs> uh, but the thing with this is... it in regards to both the environmentalism and the race, if you're going to do something, if you're going to write something that is controversial, it needs to be saying something. It needs to have a point. <laughs> and the, if you were, if we're making the argument that she's doing the race thing as an environmental thing to say like greenhouse gas is bad. Mm-hmm. global warming is bad climate change is bad like that's not saying anything we already know that I mean unless you don't believe in climate change but that's a separate issue <laughs> so like that from the environmental angle this isn't adding anything to the discussion from the race angle because this was her other kind of defense is mm-hmm. that oh I'm swapping it to draw light to the fact that racism is bad and that oh, you know, we shouldn't treat black people this way, the way that Eden is treated as a white girl in this novel. The problem with that is that, number one, that is something that we all already know. And number two, <laughs> although Eden is, Eden's treatment in this novel is chalked up to people being racist against her because of her skin, mm-hmm. it isn't in a way that is recognizable or applicable to the real world today. Like, the issues that minorities face today... Mm-hmm are not Eden's issues, you know? So it's yes. not like a direct reversal. So again, it's not adding anything to the conversation and it's not proving any point that we didn't all already know. We all right. know racism is bad. Having a book <laughs> in which a white girl is teased by black people and like told that she's worthless and ugly is not doing anything besides <laughs> making me hate this girl because it's so it's so <laughs> and the uh, the racism in this book against eden is so comical like it's yes. so super it's like villain. a snidely whiplash version of racism yes like, and it's like that's not what actual minorities deal with exactly yeah and it's like if you wanted if you wanted white people to get a taste for what racism was. Like, why do you think that they couldn't sympathize with a minority character? Mm-hmm. Why did it have to be, like, framed in this way? Well, and the other thing that comes up a couple times is Eden, um, like, when she's talking about Jamal, she's like, she's my like, dark oh. prince. Mm, yeah, my dark <laughs> prince, which that's creepy, but okay. Yeah. Um, and he calls her little bunny. Um, but... Uh, she a couple times says stuff like, oh, she knew that Jamal was really colorblind or that she hopes to find someone who's colorblind. And it's like, so again, it's not a a one-to-one comparison. Eden isn't filling the role of actual minorities in the real world today. No. 
because the, that's it's it's just so stupid and frustrating, and it doesn't and add anything to no. Our and there's even a couple race. times where she's like, "I wish we could go back to the days where my skin color was mm-hmm. valued." Like, mm. <laughs> like okay, girl, we could have done without that angle. Thanks. <laughs> and I mean, like the message of self acceptance is important, but I just I don't see as a white woman, I don't see the need. To teach, you know, teens reading this book that, oh, like the, the message of you're beautiful, um, no matter what your skin tone is, little white girls, like that's not needed. <laughs> we're good. I can tell you guys, like we've got a lot of issues, but we're good on that one. Like, <laughs> <sighs> So long story short. Just, if you come across a copy of this book, just burn it. I will say, um, usually we, like, full disclosure, we buy these books from the author. Like, yes. we, even though sometimes I do not want to support the author, except for, I can think of two exceptions, I have paid for the book in a way that would go to the author or the author's estate. The exceptions being The Hobbit and um, the Steinbeck novel we read a while ago because mm-hmm. they're both dead and I don't care. Um <laughs> But in this case, I could not, we could not buy this book in a way that went to Victoria Foyt because it is not available for sale except as a resale. Yes. And I'm very much okay with that. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now I can't wait to give this away as a secret Santa gift with all of oh my, my notes in it. God, what a terrible present that would be. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we got to do our segments, though. Um, yep. What character did you book. relate to? God, none of them. Um, <laughs> Emily Dickinson. <laughs> you just wanted to fill your pockets with rocks and walk <laughs> into a lake? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I was, re- I related to the anaconda that wanted to kill Eden because also. Same. <laughs> God, this is not Um, Cool. What uh? What are other segments? Silver, silver lining. Silver lining. My silver lining is that I was strangely compelled to keep reading this book because I wanted to see how much worse it would get. Like, <laughs> as much as I hated it, I also yeah. had no trouble reading it. Yes. Like, from a like endurance standpoint. Yes. Sometimes you you're like, I'm done. I can't. I need a break. Yes. I I kept going with this one. Yeah, I, I could it. barrel through this because it and was hysterical and yes. awful. And like I said, there were multiple times I stopped and was cracking up. So it did bring me joy, like in that <laughs> manner. And also, my silver lining is that I have a new solution to global warming, and that's that we all become cat people. Excellent. <laughs> oh, my god. Apparently, gosh. that's the moral of this story. I'm so glad you're on board. Now, just, you know what? You know what? That what? new, like, adaptation of cats now makes so much more sense. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> It's an environmental fable. Now I know why they're remaking it in 2019. (laughs) The only um, adaptation of Cats we need is the episode of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt in which Titus goes and uh, joins the crew or the cast of Cats. If you haven't seen it, anyone out there listening, I highly recommend. (laughs) Oh, just I want like just like a super cut of everything Titus does. I know, right? Like Kimmy Schmidt because... That's the only reason I watch it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I mean, I like the other stuff, but Titus is definitely the uh, Titus the main the draw. The lemonade reference. Oh, so was, good. That was such so episode. good. Okay. <laughs> so, in addition to watching episodes of Kimmy Schmidt featuring Titus, yes. Uh, what else would you like to be doing with your time? What would you rather be reading this week? I actually had a book that is fairly similar to oh, this yeah? one in really? that people have to live way. underground because the Earth is a hellscape. Oh. Um, And that's the uh, wool is the first book in the silo series by Hugh Howey, um, which it is a lot better than this and a lot more goes on other than um, (laughs) other than a romance. But basically, like it is a post-apocalyptic earth where humanity is like scraping to survive in a silo, which is like a underground city that goes down for like a hundred something floors. And um, they have to like, they every so often send people out to like go clean the outside of the silo and like no one can go outside. And it's like, there's like kind of a mystery that 
um, surrounds like the creation of the silos and the kind of upper echelon of who's living in it and stuff. And then there's two more sequels. So you should read it. It's very good. I read it when I was in a uh, post-apocalyptic book club and it was probably one of my favorites. So check it out. What would you rather be reading? Um, it's a book I read a while ago, uh, called The Summer Prince by Aliyah Don Johnson, um, mm-hmm. which I actually don't remember a ton about, but I remember enjoying it, and awesome. it kind of spark like, some similarities for me. Um, it's set in Brazil, but post-apocalyptic Brazil, um... Well, not even apocalyptic. It's like uh, futurism, I guess, more than post-apocalyptic, because I don't Mm -hmm. think there's an apocalypse, if I'm remembering correctly. And the main reason I picked it, I think, is because uh, it reminds me of this in terms of, like, the kind of stuff that could have been good, like about, you know, sort of... I'm trying to think. Sci-fi in a way that isn't like super Western European, I guess is kind of okay. the mm-hmm. thing I'm trying to say. The difference being that Elia Don Johnson is a person of color and um, uh, Victoria Foyt definitely isn't. Um, <laughs> so I think that she handles it a lot better. And there's mm-hmm. also like some issues of race and stuff like that in it. Um, it's got kind of mixed reviews on Goodreads, but I remember enjoying it and thinking it was kind of like a new, interesting take on um, a lot of like, kind of typical sci-fi uh hmm. tropes so um yeah maybe check it out um yeah i'm i hesitate to give it like a hundred percent this is my um super hardcore everyone should read this just because it's been a while since i've read it but i <laughs> mm-hmm. i remember liking it you should read it before you read this book <laughs> <laughs> yes definitely awesome Yay. All right. So that's pretty much it for this piece of crap. Thank God. I never had to uh, think about revealing Eden again. Well, listen, it's it's time for Anna to make a righteous move and challenge <laughs> me to a book for next fortnight. All right. I'm going to go in a direction that I hope you'll hate and I might not mind. Oh, again, that's the dream. The premise of the podcast. <laughs> And I'm I'm really way more willing to just fall on my fucking sword. Yeah, yeah. How many of these crappy books have we read? (laughs) So I'm going to challenge us, or you, I don't know, us, to read The Heiresses by Sarah Shepard, who is the author of the Pretty Little Liars series. Okay, okay. (laughs) So let me go ahead and read this synopsis. You know the Saybrooks. Everyone does. Perhaps you've read a profile of them in People, or have seen their pictures in the society pages of Vogue. Perhaps while walking along that choice block on Fifth Avenue, you've been tempted to enter the ornate limestone building that their family, with their family name etched into the pediment above the door. The only thing more flawless than a Saybrook's diamond solitaire is the family behind the jewelry empire. Beauties, entrepreneurs, debutantes, and style mavens. They are the epitome of New York City's high society. But being a Saybrook comes at a price. They are heirs not only to a dizzying fortune, but also to a decades-old family curse. Tragedy strikes the prominent family yet again when 34-year-old Poppy, the most exquisite Saybrook of them all, flings herself from the window of her Tribeca office. Everyone is shocked that a woman who had it all would end her own life. Then her cousins receive an ominous threat. One heiress down, four to go. Was it suicide or murder? In the aftermath of the tragedy, the remaining heiresses, Corinne, the perfectionist, Rowan, the workaholic, Aster, the hedonist, and Natasha, the enigma, wrestle with feelings of sadness, guilt, and most of all, fear. Now they must uncover the truth about their family before they lose the only thing money can't buy. Their lives! (laughs) So here's the thing. Um, I literally stopped paying attention about a third of the way into that because it sounded so fucking boring. I'm so excited. It ticks a lot of boxes that Um, you hate. I kind of came back to it when you said curse. I kind of got back in. Maybe it would be okay. Uh Um, I feel like probably not, though, because that seems like a lot of things that I... I'm not interested in. I know. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> All right, cool. So swing on by next fortnight to check that out. Yes. Um, in the meantime, if you are a cat person or know a cat person, please tweet at us <laughs> and tell us about it. Um, at HateReadCast on Twitter or email us, HateReadCast at gmail.com. Thank you, as always, to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can find his info in the show notes below. If you like what we're doing here, um, you can follow us on whatever podcast aggregator you are listening on. Um, And if that happens to be iTunes, if you guys could leave us a five-star review, we would appreciate it ever so much. Um, For real, guys, five-star reviews is, like, it's a broken system, but it's pretty much the only way that new people find podcasts is getting us up in the rankings, which... Um, you do through reviewing us so if you haven't reviewed us and you've listened to us um, and you think that other people maybe would enjoy listening to us please 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 go leave us a review in the words of victoria foyt she dared to test the boundaries of their body language and flexed her thighs around his neck unbelievably his gait slowed a feverish thrill shot through eden she could guide bramford with a mere squeeze Did she dare push him further? She couldn't resist the wild urge to flick her hips against his shoulders. At once he picked up speed. She almost squealed. His raw animal power was at her command. (laughs) Y'all, this book is gross. Eden pressed her body against the back of Bramford's powerful head, rocking to the rhythm of his quick pace. A gush of pleasure swept through her, like fire and ice, like sweet, dripping honey. She's just humping the back of his head! <laughs>